Hello and welcome to podcast two. It's Matty and Kelly back with you again. I just want to thank everyone who's listened in um, and uh, and for all the lovely feedback I've got. Um, thank you so much. I hope that you will stay listening and that you enjoy uh, the ongoing story and uh, as we get to the nitty and gritty of who and where I am now, which we will do eventually, um, then it'll all pay off. It'll all be worth listening. But no, I hope you do enjoy. Um, I do want to give everyone the full gamut of how I became the 40-something gay man that I am now, which was the whole point of this. Um, I have plenty of ideas of things I want to do down the line. As I say, we'll get to there once we've done the the, the whys and wherefores. Um, I kind of just wanted to build up, build up a, a really sort of full colourful picture um, get that clear first and then we'll deal with the present once we've kind of laid the foundations shall we say so um, stick with us and uh, I say I hope you enjoy in the meantime I have been asked by a couple of friends um, and listeners uh, how do you put this together and essentially what I'm doing is I have a, a kind of I've scribbled down a a chain of thought the night before and things that I want to touch on so I literally have I don't have a script because it would be very stilted and uh, that's not what we're doing uh, that's for the play that I'm writing which there will be more about down the line um, and but this is also part of the process of me writing this play and getting to the point where um, this play is clear in my mind um, some of the stuff I'm talking about I'm probably going to use in this play um, building a character that's loosely based around me but I don't want to talk too much about that and I will talk more about that as and when it's appropriate and we're ready to go with that but yes I, the things I want to I, to do with this pod before we go any further is really I want to discuss things that cover a wider spectrum of experiences as well as you know, things outside of my own. Um, I've talked to a few people and I've got a few guests lined up coming up in the next, uh, in the next, let's say in the next couple of months. Because um, uh, I say, quite a wide spectrum. Gay men and women, a lot of them mainly, because um, that's what we're dealing with at the moment. It won't always be. Um, but gay men and women who are at different points in their life, how they've got to where they are and coming out um their careers their relationships that sort of stuff i want to talk about things that i've seen places i've been to with them um and vice versa and then i do want to talk about well not trivial but i want to talk about film and television theater and kind of music tastes and things I'm listening to, things other people are listening to, along with about their stories. So I kind of want to add a bit of that in um, so we get a bit more present, um, which also takes me to the other thing that's in my life that I'm quite interested in, which I've talked quite a lot about to uh, to friends and colleagues in the last year or so, is mindfulness. And I do want to go uh, a bit more into that down the line, um, explain how that's helped helping um an ongoing help um and how that's affected me and then so yeah so we'll talk more about guests as and when 
they come in and I will look forward to that. Um, then finally, just uh, well, finally, before we launch back into the story, I suppose I do have a, a slight, let's call it a disclaimer. Um, from the first podcast, I was talking a lot quite retrospectively, of course, we're talking about the past, that's going to happen. Um, but uh, I realised, nobody's mentioned this, but I did sound fairly critical of uh, the town I spent my teenage years in, in Devon. And it's 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 a retrospective viewpoint, so I don't really want to attack the town. I don't want to attack anyone. Um, I, it was just, that's the way I felt at the time. Um, as I say, I did go back there and uh, it seemed a lot more pleasant than when I was there as a teenager. It was marred by being a teenager, being an angry gay teenager in a seaside town. Uh, did, did affect my viewpoint on the whole place. But as I say, it's a very, it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, and this podcast, I do talk a lot of, I will talk a lot of positivity about the area and things that happened that were great. So it's not all bad. Um, so my disclaimer really is just to say that I can't really be, be blamed for all my, well, my teenage years of naivety. Um, and also if I do miss out anyone or anything along the way, any important points, I do apologise. But now my brain isn't so much teenage as, you know, as it's, it's a, it's a 40 year old something brain. So things do get lost in the quagmire. So I apologise, um, for my old brain. Uh, so yes, so anyway, um, I think we should just jump straight in with the ongoing saga of Matt Ian Kelly at Ilfracombe School and Community College, as it was known, where I'd just moved from the Ilfracombe Junior School. Um, as I say, I didn't really have any friends in the junior school, um, and uh, so I was left a bit high and dry. Also, the building itself was this grey... I mean, I think Prince Charles would describe it as uh, a carbuncle uh, on the landscape. I mean, it's actually probably now I'd go back and think it's quite... I suppose it's brutalist architecture. But it was just grey slabs and it looked like a big grey well, factory or even prison. Um, a lot of the time it felt like a prison to me. Um, it was definitely one of the things that did sort of make the Ilfracombe landscape not so pretty. Just the top of this hill. If you didn't look up the top of this hill, uh, you, you could kind of... If you turned your back to it, it was fine. But it was everywhere. Everywhere you went, you could see it. Um, it was kind of unavoidable. And even when I was playing truant up in the hills, it would be there, uh, the, the, the grey slabs... Uh, shining in the sunlight uh, just to remind me where I should be the prison that I should be in that I'd escaped from um, but anyway so it was full it was a huge school full hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people from everywhere from Somerset uh, Minehead in Somerset I believe there were a couple of students in our year who travelled even from there uh, it covered a huge swathe of North Devon um, and so there were a lot of people um, and sometimes it was, it was the biggest school I'd been to, um, and it was, even though it was in a small town, people from everywhere came. So it was, it was one of the 
the the busiest hubs in the whole town was the school um and anyway um i did have a couple of chums initially uh there was one called jamie uh i think called jamie bullet um and i i haven't seen or heard of him for many many years um he was a nice guy um he lived on a farm um i think it was an area called Mullicut Cross, and he lived in a farm in that direction, which was kind of even more in the real country. Um, and he was obsessed with Mother's Pride Bread and how bad Mother's Pride Bread was for you. That's one of my main memories of Jamie, um, that he would discuss Mother's Pride Bread at length because on his farm, his family uh, would bake their own bread and he would bring in sandwiches. I believe he'd brought sandwiches with his own with his homemade bread or his parents' homemade bread and would discuss Mother's Pride at length and how it was full of nuclear waste and bugs and 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 uh, just awful things. Terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. Mother's Pride, don't do it. Um, so uh, <laughs> we did talk about other things, but I just remember that being prominent. Um, but so, so I was still a city boy and so we didn't bond and everything i think i was slightly fascinated by his country farm life and he was slightly i don't know fascinated but he was vaguely interested in uh, a boy from london as i was selling it even though slouse heathrow ish um let's say london um because i did then and people didn't really know any better and for them it was as close as um so there was there was Jamie and then there was another friend um called Alexis Lander and Alexis Lander was uh, was a genius um was a maths genius was the top of every subject apart from sport drama and music but everything else he excelled in um he was uh, he was sometimes he would be a bit awkward but because he chose to be and i think he even i i remember him explaining to me that he didn't feel the need to have uh verification of um who he was and and, and his standing in the world that he would he he knew he was going to be fine he was he was obsessed with mechanics and robotics um when they say mechanics mechanical not mechanics as in cars but he was similar to my friend who was wanted to who sort of lived as a car i talked about paul in slough alexis sort of did live his life as a computer um and uh, or a robot um but but knowingly so um and he he was quite happy uh, but again uh, he was in all the A streams. We'd met in the junior school in the couple of months I'd done in the junior school. When we'd moved into the comprehensive, he'd gone into all the top A streams. And I was in B streams and for maths, C. Because my maths is appalling. Still is. Still is. Uh, things I can't do. Maths and sewing. Starting to add up over each podcast. So, yeah. So, they were 
so not the popular people in school and so they were kind of my initial friends and I still thank them to this day and if they ever by chance come across this um, podcast thank you very much gents and I hope you're having wonderful lives I'm sure maybe Jamie has a farm and Alexis could definitely have gone off and worked in Silicon Valley and be a multi-billionaire now Uh, but anyway I hope you're both happy and well wherever you are um so they were my kind of my first chums like i say school itself um my survival techniques were to buy sweets i would go to the corner shop and spend half my dinner money on uh penny chews which i could hand out which i sort of gave uh, I, I tested on the coach there was a coach that could go to school because it was a big great big giant hill and the school was at the top of this hill and sometimes i get a coach up um because other people in the street did uh, as i kind of got a bit older i actually enjoyed just being on my own wanted to be on my own all right uh be on my own and just have some peace but so i'd get on the coach and i trialed giving out sweets that worked in the coach got friends on the coach so then i kind of used that in the classroom um and i would give out penny chews blackjacks cola bottles uh fruit salads um and i think some of those things still exist the blackjacks used to make your tongue really black um, and you could smell, a teacher could smell you'd been eating those and could see you'd been eating those. Um, quite unpleasant, really, but tasted great. Um, and tunes, you to buy packets of tunes and then just hand out lots of tunes. Um, so that was sort of my initial, one of my survival techniques. Um, I did start to realise that people were calling me names. Um, initially it was about having curly hair and physical things but which kind of yeah it hurts but it doesn't you know it's when it's touching a nerve and the nerve that was being touched was of course the fact that I was a gay teenager Um, hadn't dealt with it I, I, I didn't I didn't know for sure but I'd started to have inklings by this point and so the bullies would, as they do, as kids do, they they find they they find your Achilles heel, and they jumped on that. And uh, it's the first time I started to be called Bender, gay boy. Um, those kind of insults, which maybe they weren't always knowing, and they were just trying to find something. But I suppose because I was a little bit more sensitive and I looked a little bit different because I was wearing slightly different... I mean, the clothes, of course, we were all in the same uniform, but I would still try and dress my uniform up. Um, And I actually quite... Initially, I actually quite liked wearing the uniform, which I think also set me apart because I liked being smart. Because remember, I talked about liking ties. So I don't think that helped me. Um, School generally... I enjoyed English, drama, eventually music when that became an option. As I say, I hated maths and sciences. I avoided PE and games and became expert at convincing my mother to write me sick notes. And when she wouldn't, I then took it upon myself to to copy her signature and start writing my own. Eventually, I did get caught out on that, but it, it worked for me for quite a long time. And the amount of verrucas and foot, foot problems. I think it was quite often about having issues with my feet for some reason, I suppose, because then I couldn't run around. But I had a lot of foot issues. 
<laughs> unofficially. Um, so yeah, the but the bullies. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't huge. I mean, a lot of other people were bullied more. Um, but I was extremely sensitive to it, especially when it was touching on the nerve. Um, and so I would try and avoidance started to become a thing, and avoidance was uh, was a good way for me to. <laughs> avoidance was a good way for me to avoid there we go that's a sentence but no avoidance was was the way forward and so i would find ways getting home from school i would go through um i found a way through this cemetery that would take me up and over a hill and down a cemetery and round the back streets um to get home to avoid encountering uh certain uh bullies who these people who would bully everyone but uh, I'd just rather not have the confrontation. So that was sort of what I did, and it worked quite often. Um, going out of my way to avoid people. Um, still do it in life sometimes. But yes, um, there was uh, there was a lot of that sort of... That started to happen. Um, and the bullying, as I say, wasn't, wasn't the main wasn't my main problem at this point I think it was more about me sorting myself out and deciding who I was and uh, I guess the two went hand in hand to some degree but um, I would I would trick myself into uh, into saying that I will trick other people and then I didn't trick myself but I would trick other people I would try and trick other people I don't know if I ever fooled anyone that I fancied and had a crush on Samantha Fox, Samantha Fox of Page Three fame, Samantha Fox of um, number one single "Touch Me, I Want to Feel Your Body" fame. Um, I think really, I it was a good one for me to jump on that bandwagon because she was popular. Everybody knew who she was, and uh, she was attractive. And but she was also someone who I think I could, probably could have imagined being mates with more than anything. So, so yes, my, my girlfriend in my head was Samantha Fox. In fact, I was actually crushing massively on Sting, the singer Sting at this point. Um, I think we mentioned the police. We did mention the police last week, um, but Sting had become uh, quite a major feature in my life. So I, I wasn't fooling myself Um but on on the surface, I could have pictures of the police on my wall next to Samantha Fox, and no one would know any the wiser, um, or, or I so I'd like to kid myself. Um, so yes, um, then as I was saying uh, last week, that uh, my parents had signed me up to a marching band, and I actually started to go, um, and. I started to enjoy it because I enjoyed the... I actually did enjoy the discipline of school, but I enjoyed the discipline of marching and formation somehow. Um, and also learning music. And I was learning... I'd le I started, So I'd played the recorder as a child. We talked about that last week. Um, winning recorder uh, championships. But so obviously that doesn't exist in marching band world. And so I had to learn the trumpet. Well, that was suggested I would learn the trumpet. And I quite liked the idea because trumpets played in lots of bands and in, in like in rock, pop, 
combos. And so I thought it was a good idea to get that under my belt as well. And so it's, I struggled for a while because it's not the easiest instrument to learn. Um, but quite soon, my embouchure, my lips, became very uh, used to the trumpet. And I kind of improved in leaps and bounds. Um, and then started playing in the school orchestra as well as the marching band. So uh, so I practiced a lot. And then I had private lessons, which meant I didn't have to always be in other classes. I'd be allowed out of main classes to go and do trumpet class, which is incredible. Um, so that was another reason to keep practicing. Um, and then fairly quickly in the marching band, they decided to move me on to baritone horn and euphonium. Um which uh, kind of in that progression. The baritone horn is uh, the next step up from, so there's the trumpet, and then you've got a tenor horn, and then you've got a baritone horn kind of growing bigger in the family. Um, and then you're going up to euphonium and then tuba. And I was playing, so baritone and euphonium. And I actually really loved the sound, still do. Uh, still play the euphonium, played the euphonium uh, with a show that I did for quite a few years that's very fond, has a fond place in my heart, which we'll come back to later, called The Terrible Infants, but that's another, another podcast entirely. Um, so it stood me in good st stead for future work down the line. Um, so yes, so formation, I loved the marching band um, and I started to grow um, really good bonds with people um we'd practice um well we'd practice twice a week um and more if we had a competition over we'd practice all weekend if we had competitions um and and it, uh, it, it led us to to a lot of travel we went around the country playing at carnivals um and uh we went to the Channel Islands and we went to Holland to a place near Arnhem. Um, so we did a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll come back to a bit more about that a bit later. But um, it's really in this marching band where I, I, I made my, my first real friends down there. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, I do want to get to the point of kind of my connection with marching band and performing and and being gay because that's what this is all about. But so, okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to say this is where one of my big heroes still to this day, and I had the pleasure of meeting the man at Greenwich Theatre in uh, 2011 and um, him paying me a really nice compliment on my comedy skills uh, was... Mr. George O'Dowd, Boy George of Culture Club fame. Um, he was, this is where he kind of started to become a major feature of my life. Still is, still is, still admire the guy. He's been through some strange times and life hasn't been easy, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still a, a big fan. Um, and yeah, so he came into my life at this point via the marching band. Well, kind of so um we were doing an exchange with a dutch marching band who were very similar to us and uh on this exchange um 
they came to to the UK first, um, and uh, and so we had to put a skit or a cabaret performance together, and I chose to do mine as a Dutch version of Boy George, um, because I thought it would be funny if I made him Dutch, which meant I made a cardboard hat uh, of a, a Dutch milkmaid and attached uh, dreads made out of wool, um, because Boy George had the dreadlocks at that point, and, uh, and I somehow managed to get I can't remember. I got some clogs. I don't know where they came from. Can't remember. But I had clogs on. I remember that. And so I lip synced uh, to Karma Chameleon with uh, my friend Louise being Helen Terry, the backing singer, in the background. And it went down a storm. Um, first time I'd ever lip synced. This is long before I knew of RuPaul and the like. Um, and. Uh, Anyway, it was it was it was it was a a moment. I should also explain. So I, I became a fan of Boy George, um, sort of around nineteen eighty two. <clears throat> excuse me, and he came into my life uh, because I'd said mentioned last week. I was listening to uh, all the Kate Bush and the Leo Sayer and all that stuff. I was listening to. Um, and then the girl took the tie from me, you may remember, and tied it round her head and talked about Duran Duran, and I became aware of Duran Duran. It was kind of from that point on that I started to listen to that kind of music. Um, and Duran Duran and um, the Thompson Twins, who were a little bit later, but it's not that far off, but it was that kind of music. Um, and I sort of started reading actively reading magazines to find out about music i thought i needed to know i was interested but i was being more than interested i was like i have to know i need to know about this stuff so i can be on the top of my game and i can be cooler if not cool or coolest so uh so from that i kind of looked into to duran duran and that world and it led me into this i started reading about New Romantics and what New Romanticism was and this this culture in London. I mean, I had, let me just put my hands up and say before I had tried another tribe, um, I'd tried being a mod, um, being into ska music, which I, I did genuinely like, but uh, I, I was sick trying to find the tribe and so I went whole hog and I uh, had my head shaved down to a number one for the first time which this point and wasn't a good look um, and I wore a, I, I had a I got my parents to buy me a pork pie hat um, I had skinny ties um, I had loafers white socks black trousers um, and I was going for the, so yeah, for the mod scar look. And I was into the specials and the beat um, and the jam. Um, a little bit of the who, because I was, uh, you know, been told about Quadrophenia and that that's, that was the who and I should uh, follow a bit more of that and listen to them. 
Um, then um, it was kind of from there that finding the tribe and 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 I did I I had other friends in school and I think actually that probably briefly got some of the the bullies off my back as soon as I was in a tribe so that was something I realized was quite helpful was to be part of a group a bigger picture that wasn't necessarily the big picture but a slightly off-center picture shall we say um so yeah um I really liked the clothes of being a mod, but it was then looking at these magazines about the new romantics, the clothes that they were wearing were were out of this world. Like I say, it also was the whole thing about David Bowie and, and his alienness, the otherworldliness I discussed, that it was that sort of stuff that was going on with the new romantics and Bowie was spearheading it at this point he hadn't started it but he had kind of come into it and taken it and run with it with his uh, scary monsters album um and a lot of the new romantics talked about Bowie a lot as and he went to there were pictures of him going to this club called the Blitz Club that was owned by this man called Steve Strange who ended up being another not big, one of my big heroes, but I, I, I find his life fascinating. And um, he was, it was his club, the Blitz, and he called who could and couldn't go in. And in this world, say David Bowie attended one evening and there was lots of pictures and there were pictures of uh, Spandau Ballet were there and uh, Ultravox, members of Ultravox were there, Visage. Um, I think I found out later down the line that... Um, that Wham were there, that they weren't necessarily new romantic, but a lot of people involved in their world, a lot of the people from the 80s music world were going to this club. Um, and and they there was a lot of flamboyance and frills and makeup, and it was just big, colourful, and slightly dark. I mean, say colourful, but um, it had an edge to it. And I suppose it was the tail end of... I'd, I'd also... I was a little bit too young for punk I'd, I'd been into a few punk bands i suppose um like the buzzcocks um and uh let me think and then i mean i did listen to the sex pistols but i wasn't a massive fan um i put my hands up and say i i, I wasn't because i didn't understand them enough when i was when they were when they were new and they were fresh i kind of got it a bit more down the line um and i do own a vinyl um, but it was bought after the fact. I was probably a little bit late to that party. Um, so kind of on the edge of that. Um, oh, yes. And, and of course, um, there was Joy Division as well, um, who I suppose you sort of can could say were punk. But that that had a major impact. Their music had a major impact. And then it became New Order and it became more poppy and more fun. But anyway, I digress, as I do. Um... I think also I was I was clinging to the fact that all this stuff was happening in London and I was from London for want of better Heathrow airports and that's what I wanted to identify I wanted people to align me with so I started to really kind of devour the music and the look and I say in these pictures with Bowie there were pictures of um, pictures of Marilyn and Boy George. Now, Boy George was just this club creature that 
uh, was not at that point, I suppose. Well, was in a band, but wasn't Culture Club hadn't really hit. Um, so it was just pictures from and and fashion magazines. And I started to buy fashion magazines, which I didn't really understand. Um, I bought Smash It's and Melody Maker and NME and all those kind of things. But then to buy kind of it wasn't it wouldn't have been ID magazine, but there were other things that were um, that were more about clothes and London. And I would hunt that stuff down. I could go to Barnstable and buy things that had that sort of information. And I would devour that stuff. Anyway, these pictures. Um, and then in 1982, um, there was uh, an evening. I was watching Top of the Pops. And I've since discovered that the reason that they got onto the show is because Shaking Stevens, who was a bad Elvis person, rock and roller. Um, yeah, look at Google him if you don't know him. We don't need to but Anyway, anyway, let's not go into Shaking Stevens at length. But Culture Club were were covering for his illness absence and they performed Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And so then I put it all together and it's the guy from the magazines who's definitely a guy and not a girl. Um, and then there was the controversy all over the papers. Is it a boy or is it a girl? And But then very quickly the world bought into Boy George and Culture Club and to the point where my gran and my great uncle thought he had a lovely voice and the papers loved him and he talked about drinking tea over having sex which he later said probably wasn't necessarily particularly true but he was just doing what he needed to do to to get by as we all were at this point um and so yes yeah, so I I thought got to the point where they said cabaret do boy george for us and so uh and so i did so i went in and jumped in at the deep end and uh and it went really well so that's how i got to being him and how he became one of my major heroes goodness me i had to stop then because i was just about to cough violently so if there is a little jump i do apologize anyway um Kind of my friends and, and confidence throughout all of this were boys and girls from the band, <laughs> which is timely because Boys in the Band is a film and a play that came into my life later down the line. We'll get to that as and when is appropriate. Um, but just want to say a little thank you to a few people uh, who uh, who were part of that world and I know some of them are friends on Facebook and I do post this stuff on Facebook and I just want to say thank you to them and others who may one day pick up but you so there was a lot of girls that I was friends with and they were in the thing called the colour guard which is the pretty girls who wave the flags and make the whole thing look pretty around the the, the music um, and there were friends Tanya and Meryl um, hello ladies and then there were Teresa and Caroline, who were also in my drama class, and they endured my first piece of writing, going off piste slightly here, but they were um, first play I ever wrote in drama uh, in my fourth year, I think, third or fourth year. Um, they, there was this terrible piece about struggling actresses, um, and I don't know, I must have watched whatever happened to baby jane uh, and taking it 
all quite seriously and I'd, I'd written something that was along those kind of lines these two warring I think they might have been sisters that ended in a fight that actually when we staged it we didn't stage it particularly well and it all went a bit wrong but people laughed a lot and people thought it was on purpose and the two girls bless their hearts I remember them seeing two budding drama students just going for it and going oh we're getting laughs and they went for it and it just became silly and inane and I walked away from it saying that I'd always intended it to be that way I'm a comic genius um, my interest in comedy at this point was really starting to grow and uh, the comic strip and French and Saunders and people like that were just about to start bubbling um, and actually yeah just at that, the end of the tail end of my school years they were happening um, and uh, but then I loved Forty Towers and I loved a lot of sitcoms so it, that was starting to be a major part of my life um, and sitcom characters, a lot of whom were, we'll come back to this later down the line, sitcom characters who were, some people now would say offensively gay, who I just found really funny. And people would use the word camp and fay. Um, but they, these actors did it really well, and it was funny. And I think there may have been a point in time when it, it probably worked against us. But anyway, that's another discussion for definitely for another podcast. But anyway, so yes, uh, they were two girls, and they were also in the colour guard and then there were girls who were musicians in the band um there was karen uh hello karen and rosie and louise um and then oh my goodness and then there was uh tracy and emma so there were lots of girls and i would do a lot of entertaining when i'd say entertaining they uh, look quite a few of those ladies would come to my house and we would play records and drink coffee and tea and sometimes cider um and smoke cigarettes out the window um and i would entertain and i would be funny and i would be people and i would create characters um and so i did a lot of yeah and then we'd we'd do crank prank phone calls more of that later um kind of the beginning of my rebellion but also i had with the girls i had the connection with pop culture and um and pop music um a bit more than some of the boys at this stage but then there were the boys in the band shall we say um there was a guy called andrew morden i think is his name was his name is his name hopefully um and he was a trumpet player and he was kind of a, a good friend um he wanted to be in the navy um and he was um he was a good I remember him being a very good solid person and there were never any arguments um but he left the marching band and we just you know the friendship dissolved as it does and there was uh Peter who was a trombone player who uh I believe now is become a mental health nurse uh there was my friend nemesis Duncan Duncan Gray who played the clarinet um, who I have a memory of him standing on a table in a band practice one evening singing uh, Let Me Entertain You. We'll have a real good time. Um, <laughs> I think we were vying for the same position in the band of as class, as band clown. Um, and yeah, sometimes he could be quite mean. Though in the end I did give him 
uh, back what he gave me eventually down the line as I got braver there was uh, uh, there was Mark Chown who was my first crush that I admitted to myself not to him goodness me no um, but I was the first time I kind of ever admitted that I had a crush on a real life person and he was baritone horn player um, he was also a member of the Air Cadets and was very smart I mean smart in clothes smart in the brain and so there was a lot of uh, a lot that I I crushed on there so that was the first time there we go first crush and then there was my friend Phil Noland who was my best friend for a long time in the school and in the band um, when I moved to London um, back to London he eventually joined me in Tooting um, and uh, lived with me and hung around with me and my drama school comrades for quite a while uh, and he wanted to have a bit more of a cosmopolitan life and he worked in uh, security in Stockwell uh, for a while his time he was in London and then went to New Zealand with another friend who's since returned, but Phil never did return. Um, but we spent a good few years of being really good friends. Um, I'll talk more about uh, Phil living with us in London when we get to that point. Um, again, I've got to jump back to the last week of summer. Uh, the memory, that there's, there's music that goes with this. Um, and if there weren't copyright issues, we would be hearing Depeche Mode, everything counts in large amounts at this point. Um, because this uh, reminds me of this brilliant summer. And so this is where I really, I loved this summer. This summer in Ilfracombe is a really good memory. My sister, we talked about, was going to London with my parents to have major, major heart surgery. Now it'd be keyhole surgery, but at the time it was quite a major operation. So my family went away and left me in three stories of a house to myself, my grand my grandparents on the top floor, um, in their own little flatlet, and they kind of stayed there, even though they'd been told they could come down and hang out, be in the main house with me. They didn't, and so I had all this space to myself, and they'd make sure I was fed and that I was okay, but. Uh, or other time I was left to my own devices and wanted to be. And so I invited my friend Phil Nolan to come and stay a lot. Uh, and his brother would come and stay. And again, there would be uh, a bit of scrumpy drinking, nothing major. Um, spending a lot of time going to the beaches, going out into the country, um, scaring ourselves in abandoned churches there was a lot of um, really I don't know, exciting but it was a really happy time and I remember the just the weather being perfect perfect summer and ice creams and and, and watching uh, watching uh, vampire films late at night um, and just kind of enjoying being scared a lot of yeah, so a really good summer, really good summer. Um, of course, my sister was ill. She's okay. She's fine now. She has a daughter of her own and she's married. And uh, yeah, so it all worked out for her. But um, yeah, I think the other thing was as a 15-year-old, I didn't want to think too much about uh, whether uh, a baby sister was going to be particularly ill and, and all, all the all the worst case scenarios 
um, it's not something you want to deal with. So I think it kind of helped me block out the the reality of of that. But anyway, it was it was it was a blissful blissful summer, and we did do some uh, some the, uh, once a week we in the summers in the marching band we'd play uh, on the seafront as you do if you're in a marching band and i am that 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 memory of kind of eating fish and chips in a uniform after after parade performance um and uh occasionally occasionally we'd go to the pub and i don't know we did how did we do that must have gone home and got changed and gone out again kind of with the the 15 years age started doing that um in fact i'd gone in before i had gone in before then but not on a regular basis um and that's what we do in the uk uh so oh yes uh yeah so just to sidebar because i must go back to the to the band briefly um just to kind of it gave me a lot of amazing experiences apart from being boy george Uh, it also allowed me to say travel the country um in this american style band and we competed in championships. We were the top of our league. It was like leagues, divisions, like football. Um, we were the top of the second division. Um, and that was pretty good. Um, and we competed at Wembley. And I remember playing um, a solo of I Don't Like, a solo in I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. Um and that being at Wembley we played in an international festival at Wembley another year before that I think um, so a couple of performances in Wembley uh, we played at the Albert Hall I played a solo of Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones in the Albert Hall on a euphonium goodness me um, but you say we travelled to Holland we travelled around the UK and playing in carnivals and we were on television in the southwest. Um and say we it was it's all a bit geeky but actually it was again it was it was really good particularly the later years uh my nemesis i was talking about before left to live somewhere else um and so the the competitive side to being in you know the personal competition dissipated and i didn't have anyone to didn't have anyone who was trying to outdo me it was just pure fun so the last few years that were really good fun um and i think it also gave me my my love i'd performed in i'm let's i'm digressing again but i had performed in joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamscoat at school and uh i had also performed in um in a school performance in a drama school not drama school drama in school in the comprehensive school i'd performed in a production of nativity which was a biker version and i was a biker version of joseph because that's the way you'd imagine me as a biker um and uh and i got good reviews all around for both of those so those those two performances joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamscoat was it was in uh, junior school by the way in infant school infants my first school in slough um so there'd always been moments um and say my imagination had always been there and i'd always been the one in the dressing up box so this these things were all starting to grow to the point where uh, and i guess again part of it was hiding behind the costumes but part of it is well is uh just kind of learning 
how to to deal with yourself and so I guess that's part of why I'm an actor still um so anyway and then um it's kind of about the age of 15 where I like I say I did start to not started to know but the awareness of being uh a young gay man really started to have its take its toll and and the rebellion of uh, the rebellion at school really kicked in um i suppose you know we did have fun being rebels um and you know children are awful um but uh yeah my 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 rebellion was uh, actually it was quite a dark turn the age of 15 and I I knew that uh, gay people weren't of course there were gay people in Ilfracum but they they weren't out and about um, well actually saying that there was one occasion and this one I do hang my head slightly in shame um, there was to entertain ourselves we looked at the personal ads in the local paper the North Devon Journal and uh, there was one brave man who'd put an advert in for, and put a personal ad in, looking for companionship. And what did he get but a bunch of teenagers? Uh, there was there mu- there must have been a phone number because uh, one of the one of our group um, rang. Uh, I remember re- him ringing a number and uh, from my parents' home ringing a number and um, arranging this meeting in this cafe in Ilfracombe called the Swiss Cottage Cafe, little coffee shop. Um, so we all went to to watch. Um, nobody was going to speak to him, but he'd said he was going to turn up uh, in a pink... He'd be wearing a pink triangle. And I distinctly remember that conversation, hearing everyone talking about why he's going to wear a pink triangle. And then he did, but nobody really knew why course now I know why and the significance of that uh, later down the line um, really hit me and uh, what a brave man and I hope he lived a happy and healthy life after that uh, despite a bunch of idiot teenagers um, sitting in a cafe sniggering I wasn't sniggering I remember even at that point I just was finding it difficult to the, the, the lead up I'd found really funny ha ha but then watching this poor guy in a cafe just was, I think, one step too far. Um, and, yeah, so it was kind of, and I realised that this is not a, well, it, it may be a place. It did, Ilfracombe did have its own gay club later down the line, after I'd gone. Um, I don't think it was massively successful, and I don't think because of anyone local not liking it, but I think it was mainly because... It probably didn't have enough of a clientele. I think in the summer, I think I heard uh, that it did very well in the summertime. It did reasonably well. It did better in the summertime and in the winter it was... Yeah, it wouldn't be too busy. Um, but yes, I say, at that point, to be being that brave and open down there was was a huge thing. Um, but yes, that was another point where I remember the, the thing about loneliness and even though my mother said she apparently knew I was 
gay when I was three and I don't know what I did um, and she said it wasn't anything that I did it was just um, it was just she just had uh, a mother's inkling um, and uh, intuition is the word I'm looking for <laughs> mother's intuition and uh, that she she knew but then she did say to me a few years down the line uh, probably when I was about 14 13, 14 I remember us by accident catching a show from London Weekend Television that was playing out in Devon about uh, a gay rights group in London I think it was uh, and it was quite late at night and it was quite controversial and I remember I got quite embarrassed and sat and went bright red but then not that my mother noticed that but she did we did talk about it a bit afterwards I kind of we talked around it and she was talking to I think my dad about it could be quite a lonely knife and I kind of me catching wind of that and talking to her a little bit about it and her kind of saying the same thing to me um that was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow um though my parents have been completely completely supportive once I actually said the word to them that I was gay they there was no problem I think it was just my mother being concerned rather than um bigoted definitely was um but yes, yeah, so my confusion and my anger grew a lot and my disillusionment with the world and where I belonged. And, um, I just started skipping school, uh, really properly skipping school. I got suspended twice. I started wearing Bowie trousers and, and uh, tucker boots and I coloured my hair at one point um, and generally kind of just be a bit alternative. Um, I argued with a computer science teacher who wouldn't explain to me why we have to, why, do we, why, oh, why do we need to work with computers? Hmm, this is a long time ago when computers were great big whirring machines. My father won something and it just sat in a corner of his of their bedroom just getting dusty. I think it was used a couple of times. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought they were Who's ever going, when am I ever going to use why would I ever need any of that kind of uh, equipment anyway <laughs> here I am um, but uh, yeah so I just got more and more and my, 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 my time that I would spend out of school got longer and I got better at just disappearing so initially it was hours and then days and I think I probably got through well I know I didn't probably I know I got through one point where it was a couple of weeks without even going in and that can only go on so long and uh, and I was caught out on one of those quiet lanes I was talking to you about where I used to go to avoid the bullies I was caught out as that was one of my escape routes from school for, for, for playing truant for skiving and uh, the deputy head drove up drove up the country lane right in front of me and stopped me and said get in the car and not long after that I was expelled from school which, uh, children, I'm not massively proud of, but however, it did kind of, it did make me who I am. And it was partly to do with my frustrations and my, my anger at what I thought was, I didn't think it was an illness, but I did, didn't really know how to, to express it. And I had no one to talk to about it. Um, so that led us to 
to the next stage, which is leaving school early, going into work, going into college, going into becoming a puppeteer and going to drama school and becoming an actor. So we are getting up to speed. Anyway, I hope that you've enjoyed this. As I say, there will be uh, news of the guests, uh, hopefully the next couple of podcasts and we will uh speak again soon thank you again so much for listening please keep listening please share this um send this post it uh just please put it out there and um let's get lots of people listening um because that's what i want to do and uh my microphone says thank you as well it's getting used (laughs) all right cheers again thanks